and welcome to the Cleverly Changing Podcast. Our podcast is all about learning how you can educate your kids. I'm one of the hosts, Elle, and this is episode 25. If you're a new listener, we are excited to have you join us. I'm an entrepreneur, mom to twin girls, and this podcast is not only for parents who homeschool their children, but it is for all parents who want to supplement their child's education. Our goal is to provide you with encouragement, support, insight about African history, and just overall encouragement to continue to educate your kids. New episodes are uploaded bi-weekly, so please remember to subscribe and share. Today's African proverb is, only a wise person can solve a difficult problem. And that is an Akan proverb. It's now time for the word of the episode. Bingwa means winner or champion in Swahili. This is Cleverly Cultured Kids! Today's Cleverly Cultured Kids episode is very short, but it's in honor of Black History Month and the pioneers who've come before us. So we have one report by Amara, and she's going to tell you about one of her favorite pioneers, and it's a young woman like her. So thank you so much for sharing your pioneer with us. I chose Gabby Douglas. The reason why I chose Gabby Douglas is because she was my first role model. Gabby Douglas is a U.S. woman's gymnast. At the 2012 London Summer Olympics, she won gold medals in both the team and individual all-around competitions. She is the first woman of color of any nationality and the first African-American gymnast in Olympic history to become the individual all-around individual all champion. Hi, welcome to the Cleverly Changing Podcast. We have an amazing guest tonight, and we're going to let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her home school experience or just home education in general. So if you could introduce yourself to our audience, that would be wonderful. Okay, thank you. First of all, I want to say thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, my name is Njeri Nemhard, and I have been a homeschool parent for since I first had my kids. So my son is going to be 18 this year. He's 17 right now. My daughter is going to be 15. So we pretty much started homeschooling from birth. And then uh, that means, you know, just teaching everything um, at home. And then when school time came, we decided, you know, we just went ahead and put them in school. But every time they would come home, we would do, always have educational activities that we would do. And that just went on. When they come home from school, they do their homework if they had any, and we'd also do some educational activities. And that went on for a while up until my son was going into sixth grade and my daughter was going into second. And then we just decided that, why are we doing this all the time? Let's just teach them at home because they seem to be getting more. And there were other things going on as well. Um, so then we just pulled them out and decided to homeschool since then. So since then, I would say for about 10 years, we've been homeschooling full time. Wow. 10 years is a really long time. Indeed. So yes. you're, you're a veteran at this. <laughs> if you could call it that. Yeah. I mean, I have my experiences, definitely, um, lots of experiences. 
So one of the things that we try to do on our podcast is let parents know everybody that listens isn't a homeschooler, but the podcast really centers around home education and supplementing. So even though not everybody has that privilege to homeschool their kids, because it's really, you know, it's a privilege to yes. be able to stay at home with your kids and homeschool them. It so is. For those who, you know, are supplementing to know that, hey, I can, you know, be doing things at home with my kids to really enrich their education. That's really what we're here for. We want to empower our community with certain um, information so that their kids will be knowledgeable. We don't want just the history books at school to be their only resource to know who they are. Right. Absolutely. And I, I love that you say that because homeschool is not for everybody. And so it's not the only path or the best path, or if you're not homeschooling, you're not doing the right thing. Right. Not at all. I don't believe in that at all. And um, so, yeah, I, I love that you brought all that up. Yes. Well, let me ask, what kinds of things were you using or doing to supplement your children's education when they were in school? And were they in private school or public school? Just okay. Okay, they were in public school. And what kinds of things we were doing? We were doing everything from, okay. One, I'll give you one example of what we did that was very key and we thought was very important was giving them a way of reading books that they could avoid a lot of the white supremacy that is inherent in a lot of books. Mm. Uh, so for, you know, a lot of the reading that's done and when we started homeschooling like 10 years ago, there were a, a, a variety of books for black children, of children of color, but there were not that many, really. The resources were a lot fewer than they are now. Now there's a lot of children's books. At that time, there weren't that many. And we taught our children to learn to read early. You know, we were really pushing literacy and, um, and they were ready to learn. They were ready to learn. So the fact that a lot of our education is done in books and reading is supposed to be something you do for pleasure and for learning and we wanted them to have that culture for reading but we realized that a lot of the what's in books is not necessarily we, we don't want you to pick up everything mm -hmm. so one example we were at the video store one time and my son was like looking at this the video covers and he pointed to uh, the video cover and it had a blonde girl on it and he said she has very pretty hair <laughs> and I thought, you know, I was like, okay, but he had never mentioned about anyone else before, you know, it wasn't something that he would go around noticing and picking up and I was like, yeah, why do you think that? And he was maybe six, seven. And he just said, oh, it was because it's, it's so blonde and, you know, all these things that, that you pick up from reading books, because when you look at the pictures, in many books and movies and it, you know the the blonde person girl is supposed to be the pretty one right with and the blue eyes is supposed to be the good person even in kids even in cartoons they will have blue-eyed animals mm -hmm. and those are the good ones and the ones with the brown eyes are not good or the darker ones so it's true. I, I started to pick up on he's, he's picking up on it and he's he's talking about it and um and I noticed that. And so, and then um, my daughter had done a similar thing with one of the events in school that they were given a choice of things to pick and she picked one of the little uh, white dolls uh, as her option. So, you know, that was when I was like, okay, nope. Because <laughs> I had thought I was conscious. I thought I was really doing my best to show different things. And I, I thought, okay, I, I, I obviously, we haven't done a good enough job. Yeah, but it's so difficult. It's not even like it's just you're failing and, yeah. you know, showing this types of, you know, imagery to your children. It's just, there's just so much other. Right. They're in everything. Yeah, everything. That's other from yes. the books to the billboards to the classroom to the teacher. Yes. Everything yes. gives us yes. this feeling of being other. And yes. even though we do our best to give, the um you know to promote ourselves as not being other that there's nothing wrong with us 
the way we are, yes. the way we talk, the way we look, the way we walk, the, all these things are fine, but so many things tell us opposite. And it's really difficult to, you know, just get them to be comfortable and aware. Yes. And that, you see, and that's the thing, you know, you want them to be, aware. okay, you want to say, oh, that, that, you know, you don't want to say, no, that's ugly. That's the, you know, right. so you want to do it in a way that's saying, okay, I want you to be aware of what's happening because I've never seen you say that about a little black girl or boy or anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So one of the, the tools going back to what we did was we created a tool and they were young, but we created a tool for reading books. We said, hey, okay, guys, we're going to look for what we called tags. Let's look for tags. You know, tags are things in books that give you information that they don't necessarily say in the story. A tag would be uh, if you're blonde, you're good. If you're dark, you're bad. Uh, we picked out certain tags. Or if you're a girl, you can't do these things. And if you're a boy, you only do these things. Uh, we, we set out a certain number of things and we said, okay, let's, when we read the books, let's answer these questions. And so we had a set of eight questions. So, uh, so it was also literacy. We're saying, okay, what is the main point of the story? First of all, we wanted to get the main point. So we said, what is the main point of the story? Who is the main person in the story? How does the book support that? Give me some examples of how you figured out that was the main point. Then the last question was, what were the tags in the story? Were there any tags in the story? So we did this for every book we read. Oh, look at this, you know, what's a tag? You know, and what happened? Is it only the, the girl that did this or did the boy do that? Or was the, is it only the white person who did it? Or were there other colored people in there? I mean, and what did each of them do? You know, we sort of had worked on this uh, for them to understand when certain messages were, were being sent to them that aren't, um, that they can pick out. So to make them analysts. So we kind of made them detectives for finding these different things in the story. So it gave them a frame of reference of a framework for how to read books so that they could not just understand the main point, what is the main point of what they're teaching you, which is what is a, an essential part of reading anything. But did you notice any little tags in there from the pictures or the actions? Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to um, pause right here. All right, so that is awesome. So you talked about um, a daughter. How many kids do you have? Two. Okay. And when you were teaching different uh, grades and age groups, what are some things that you would say really helped you be able to toggle between the two children somewhat? Because I think some parents who have multiple kids, um, it can be kind of challenging when yes. they have an older sibling and a younger sibling. Okay, um, my children are three years apart and I would give them, let's say we did something um, on comprehension, a story. Uh, let's say we wanted to focus in on the story. I would give them different questions to answer and you know for the story mm. depending on what their strengths were um, their strengths are so I would expect something different from one than I would from the other but the same discussions uh, what's that, so, what's that? You, so you would discuss the same book with both both of the children Sometimes we would do that, yes. Sometimes we would do the same book and then they would answer something different. Other times they would just have their own, you know, their own books that they're reading, especially because sometimes they need different things. A lot of times the different children will need something different right. um, for their interests, also for where they are and where they need to be. And we would work with each of them in, independently. Um, so while one is doing something, reading, um, I'd be working with the other with their writing or um, with the, the particular assignment they were working on. And if, and if they were, if they had to wait, I would have books that they would, could look through or something else that they could be doing while I finished working with, with one of them. Okay. 
Awesome. It sounds like reading was a really big part of your homeschool experience, which for us, I think it is a big part of our homeschool experience as well, and many homeschoolers. Um, so you talked about different tips and tricks that you use to help your kids um, really refine their reading comprehension skills and really be able to kind of delve into the material. As they grew older, how did you continue to foster their love for reading? Those are good questions. Um, first of all, I guess reading, um, reading, we focus on that a lot because we believe in, or, or the idea that you, that someone can learn on their own. I think is a very important aspect of what we want to impart so that, you know, if you want to know something, you have to know how to research it, find it. And a lot of it is found in books or even, you know, nowadays you can watch it in videos or, but the idea was learning how to learn. Mm. Yes. I like it. That was, yeah, that was why we were focusing on that a lot. Your, your ability to just learn something, whether it's been given to you or not. Um, so, Sorry, now, uh, what was the last part of the question? So how did you continue to foster that love yes. for reading as they grew older? Well, we, you know, going to the library was a big deal for us. We had a lot of fun doing it, and it was kind of a big, big deal, so, you know, going and getting books. And yeah. uh, so they enjoyed the whole process a lot, and they, they just got into it. And the fact is that we were, my, my husband and I are also readers, so we were also reading our own books and so they also fell into into that um, as well because we did it and that was what we, we spent a lot of time sort of also the, the funness of the trips and the selection selecting books we spent a lot of time like you know I would read my husband and I would read most of their books <laughs> with them as well so that they could we could also have those discussions right. uh, about the book with, while, while knowing exactly what they're reading. I, I love what you just brought up because I feel like there's a lot of families who want their children to be readers, but if you want your kid to do something, you have to model that behavior. Right. And you just talked about you and your husband were readers. So for children to see their parents reading, it's like just second nature to pick up a book. Right. And yes. so I love that you brought that up. If you want to raise a reader, you should be a reader. You should be a reader yeah. too. Exactly. I agree. Even if you're not really a reader, you have to at least let your children see you reading something sometimes. You know, it can't be you just reading the words on the commercial on the TV. You got to actually have a book or a magazine, something, and be engaging with it on some occasions. Because then they think, oh, my mom does it, my dad does it. I want to do it too. What are they doing? You know, you can invite them to your own space and let them read something with you, which is probably, <laughs> I don't know if that's the best way, you know, because we tend to enjoy more dull things according to the <laughs> 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 my children are like, um, no, mommy. <laughs> yeah. And I think because there's enjoyment in that and you, you read the same books they're reading and you can have that conversation about their favorite author or favorite you know um protagonist um or the plot it also adds to the different things you can talk about and, and sort of um have develop a relationship about right it, it builds connection mm -hmm. so yeah, it does it's it's wonderful because with homeschooling the the true benefit of it is really that personal connection that you wouldn't otherwise get if you're only looking for someone else to do that academic fulfillment. So when you when you have that um, firsthand knowledge what your kids are learning, you can kind of interweave mm -hmm. different lessons throughout the day, regardless of what you're doing just in everyday life. And that mm -hmm. helps deepen the impression, but it also helps you as a family learn how to communicate better, learn how to grow, learn how to, you know, get past challenges and different things. So it's a, a you know, there's so many benefits that uh, yes. arise from reading together and doing things together in a homeschool setting. 
Absolutely, I definitely agree with that. So I think that was a great segue to our next question. So you talk a little bit about you and your husband being readers. What is, uh, what is your background that really gave you that confidence to homeschool your kids? Yeah, um, you know, it's one of those things sometimes you say, if I had known what I knew now, would I have still done the same thing? Um, so, you know, sometimes, um, let's go back to why I decided. So my background is I grew up in Kenya. And I came here when I was 18, I suppose, 18, 19 to go to college. And um, I, you know, in Kenya, everything was very academic. Everything is just very, very academic. And there's high stakes um, examinations. And so the uh, studying and being rigorous in your academics is like very, very important. Because uh, if you fail the exam, you fail out of the system, no. uh, which, which, which locks you out of the idea of, of of progress you know the idea that education your academic education was your springboard right to to a bright future was was instilled in us i don't i don't believe that now i i don't have that full, that full belief at all but at that time that that's and even now that's the message that is sent to to it students is. so you feel that if you don't pass you know you've let the whole family down, your, your future's not going to be bright, you know, you won't have access to, to opportunities. Uh, but that was a very real feeling uh, growing up. So academics was, 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 was the top priority. And so I came from a very, you know, a background of a lot of studying and uh, studiousness. Not so much reading, though. It wasn't so much, it was reading and it was more studying to pass the exam, you know, because the, the education system was set up that if you don't pass the exam, it was high stakes testing. The exam was right. everything. Right. So, you know, it, that was the fallacy of the whole thing. If, if, if your parent died on the day before the exam and you took it and you failed, then you just, that was it. You know, wow. you failed out. Or you'd have to repeat your whole year again in order to do the testing when it came up again the next year. Oh, so, so having said that, um, when I came here, I was very much, uh, I found everything very easy. You know, I was like, what? This is so easy. All that, you know, I thought everything was easy to me. Um, and I, I passed, you know, I did well academically in college. Um, that is not to say that I was doing well, you know, emotionally and socially in the sense of, you know, I had it all together. I just knew how to study and I knew how to give back what you gave me. Mm -hmm. And what were you studying? Um, I did hotel management, hotel restaurant management, and institutional management, and um, geology as a minor for my first degree. Yeah, so, um, so I felt academically sound, and there is an idea. Um, and my husband, you know, he's he he was born in um, he's his parents are Jamaican. He was born in England, and then he came. He went to Jamaica. For a few years then he came here he was probably eight or eight years old when he came here from jamaica and but he had experienced the um the the rigor of academics even from you know from other parts of the world things are much more rigorous than they are in america right so there's always that idea that you know oh you know school in america is easy you know um from out from people from outside um however so when, when it came to what I saw the children studying, so when, where we were living in, when we had our children, uh, the school they went to was what they call, um, now can I remember? It's a school that is a failing school, basically. What do they call the, the there's, a, there's a name that they give to these schools. Oh, is that the Title I schools? Title I school, yeah. Title I, and it had a very high immigrant population, which meant it was, had a very st a strong ESL program. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, which, um, which I'm, I'm, I didn't have a problem with all those things. You know, I was like, okay, so long as they're learning, that's important. But I, I found that things were going very slowly mm. in school. I just felt that you're still on that. You st you're still on that. Okay. Um, and what did you do in math? Oh, we did this. Uh, then this happened and that happened. And I just thought, I just thought it was just going really, really slowly. Um, and so... I felt, well, I can teach this. I, you know, I can teach, I've already been teaching you this. I can teach this part of this, you know. 
um, faster than they're going at school. And since, and what happened was, um, my children, because we had spent so much time learning at home, they were really, really fast. At, they already knew how to do most of the things from kindergarten and first grade. So they were ahead of the ball game, which led to them feeling kind of bored in school, which led to them also being outcast in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because we didn't have a TV at home, they were sort of outside of everything that was happening with children in terms of the, the, the cool things, what everyone was talking about, the games, the... Uh, yeah. You know, so they really felt like outsiders. Okay. And um, because of all of that, we just felt that it wasn't it wasn't working. It wasn't a good fit for what for for them. And it kind of put them in a position where you know they were on the honors list and all these things, but at the same time, they didn't have a good social experience. Um, they were always being teased or always one way or another. And then there was also the arrogance that came in of being really ahead of the game, you know, kind of feeling like we know all this stuff and they don't know anything. Uh, so <laughs> we felt that that's not what we wanted. We didn't want them to feel arrogant. We didn't want them to be outsiders. You know, all of these things became things that we were very cognizant of. We didn't want in, for them to um, develop. Does that make sense? Yes, most yeah. So you know, you really don't. Yeah. So we we pulled them out, and um, we was we kept telling them that it's hard to tell children. You know, if anyone had spent as much time as you have reading and doing the different things, they would have been at the same place you are. It's not as if you're you're special here in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that they don't do the same things necessarily. So there's no reason to be feeling <laughs> so so advanced um, when you're not. You know, when you're not. Yeah. Um, it, it, does that make sense? You know, we didn't want that. So. Right, right. I think, um, you know, you brought up several points. One of the points is socialization. People often equate homeschooling with a right. lack of socialization. And for you to bring up that your kids weren't socializing while they're in public school is a key factor. Um, because people fail to kind of take into account that in school, different kids get labeled different things and the social interactions vary. They vary. And so um, if your kids weren't necessarily accepted by their peers, they're going to be isolated and that's going to have a detrimental effect on them. It could, it could. And And it did. It it could and it did in this this um, instance. So when you pulled them out and you intentionally started to um, kind of curate their social activities, how did you see their personalities and their confidence change? Well, it took a while because uh, my son was, he was going into sixth grade and he felt um, teased a lot. And so we had, we we had a lot of D sort of D, D, I don't know debugging, de-schooling, 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 yes, yes. (laughs) honestly, I mean, we had a lot to do, and um, it's sort of, and and also, I think, bringing in the aspect of your, you know, we can bring that up later, but what I was saying is that we had a lot of de-schooling to do, and has it, and it improved over time, over a long time, of really discussing it, and really explaining it, in fact, I think maybe you the past two years when when I've actually seen it really improve a lot, uh, get a lot better. And I want to stop you there just for a second, because I think what you're saying is so, so important. Because as homeschoolers, we often look for instant um, changes. Mm -mm. Yeah. Because we're like, well, I'm with them all the time. What I'm doing should be rubbing off. Right. No. <laughs> right. And so what you're saying is you have to observe, you have to analyze, you have to evaluate, you have to be patient. The key yes. is to wait and it will be revealed. It, you Honestly, you are so right about that. You have to, things, it, and just because you're homeschooled doesn't mean everything's perfect. Right. It doesn't, you know, <laughs> honestly, let, let, put it on the table. It's not. Um, you have, you have a lot of things that you have to, um, think about it. and at the end of the day you can't just say oh my gosh that school system did this to my child you you know at the end of the day you say well I homeschool so I pretty much I'm accountable for what I have produced um, yeah. for what has come yeah. out of my situation um, and the, the the 
that kind of um, pressure is also uh, can be quite um, can be quite it's difficult sometimes to deal with that where you have where you're dealing with um, hopefully you know you might see someone your child may not be doing as well in a certain aspect and you you might blame yourself or blame them or bl you know you have to sort of you want to actually not blame anyone but really just do your best to figure out what the issue is and then solve it the best way that you can. Yes. Um, yes. That's, yeah, it's, it's, it it's can not, be overwhelming. I mean, it's it can, sometimes it can. The teacher is doing, doing the exact same thing that you're doing. They just yes. have a piece of paper that says that they're better at doing it than somebody else because we <laughs> they got taught by... So because they have a certification right you know well that's the thing you know to go to go back to your question before i also have a master's in um international education development that i, I went back to which, which is i went back to education school right um to, to do that to get uh to what they call teachers college so I, I also had studied curriculum development and i'd also thought about it before um and that sort of Kind of, kind of gave me more confidence because I'd say, well, I already know what they're learning in teachers' colleges, so I can do the same. I've done it. I can do the same thing um, that they're doing as well. Did you go to? Did you get your master's before you started homeschooling? During yes. homeschool or after? Before. Okay. Before I even yeah. Before I even had children, I I had gotten that master's. Okay. Ooh. Well, okay. Well, since you have gone there. So you've done some studies with curriculum development. So is this, well, did you do that because you wanted to create the Afri Ventures, the Maroon Life Learning Company? Or was that just a, Afri Ventures was like the next step from being um, in the curriculum planning? Yeah. Yeah, so I I didn't I want I had the idea before I went into um, did my master's that I wanted to change the education for Black people. Um, I wanted to do that. That was my thing. I was like, this is just too much, you know. I I just found that the education we were getting and um, was just making things worse for for Black people all around the world globally. Uh, because you know it's coming from from you, you'd imagine you'd think that people in Africa learn a lot of African history, but we don't. Um, the, the 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 history that we learn is in general. This is of course a big generalization, but most of the countries that are coming out of colonialization just have just been using the colonial style curriculum. Um, even last year when I went back to Kenya, you know, people were like they they don't learn anything um, about about the bigger African story the, most of the story begins when uh, Kenya became a country mm -hmm. which and most for, for most African countries it's like this it begins when you became a country which means that was your your colonial experience because the countries that are there now are created were created at the Berlin conference right, um, right. with the boundaries being drawn yeah with the boundaries being drawn so the history really begins then and most people even um, when I went there, I had the opportunity to speak to a wide variety of people. They don't, they didn't know anything. When I was telling them about things that Africans were able to do thousands of years ago, they were like, what? What? We need this. We need this. You know, and they, they just never learned it in the system. So coming from, and then I, when I was here after, you know, meeting, sort of interacting with a lot of different Black people from all over the world, I was just like, and talking to them about their experience, educational experiences and all the different things we've experienced, I, I found so much similarities and I thought, you know, let, we need to begin to change this on a, on a global level. So that was my initial reason for going, um, going there. I felt that even though I had many ideas, I felt that it would be easier if I had the masters to get um, acceptance um, from a wider audience because yeah. the people, you know, People tend to listen to people with degrees rather than people who, who don't, but who may know a lot. So right, because then it gives you the authority to say, well, people feel yeah. like you're an authority figure. There you go. People area. feel you. Yes, right. it's, it's social currency. It's called what they call social currency. Yes. 
so yes and that's yeah anyway that's that was why i did that so can you tell us a little bit more about afford ventures yes i certainly can so after um some time I, uh, we came up with my husband and i came up with this with classes that we thought well this is what's missing let's try and come up with classes for children initially i was thinking of doing classes for our teens and adults but it was like let's focus on younger ages and i thought okay um so we came up with um what we've done is we've we've looked at a lot of the books that have been written by black scholars uh, that have brought out a lot of the black history that was hidden or unspoken about in in many of the white books uh, books written for uh, for Western history, where African history has been sort of like a footnote, mm. um, sort of been added into the Western history part of the, the their great expansion and, and the great um, what do they call their own their um, their colonial expansion? We're part of that in the history books but we don't stand outside of, of them in general. So I, I, I read a lot. We read a lot of books by like Dr. John Henry Clark, by Dr. Adam Van Sertema. And you know, when I was reading this, I was reading this for the first time. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? How is this even possible that nobody knows these things? Mm. Nobody knows that Africans were traveling to the Americas way before there was even, you know, someone called Columbus. And that Columbus actually got the maps that he used from the Moors right. who had been sailing and you know, you know, you you're just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. How what kind of a world are we living in that, that we believe these stories that are partially told and um when you really look into it, the information is actually there, but we just don't find it and bring it out. Yeah, we don't know where to look. A lot of us don't know where to look to begin. Or we don't have time. A lot of us don't have time. You know, we're so busy just trying to live and raise our families and, you know, you know, we don't have time. And most of the stuff, you know, I would look in the Ivan Van Sertema's book and then I would go in the back and look at the bibliography and then go get the books that are in the bibliography mm. and look at those. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is all, there's so much information. So if you go to the, the bibliographies that they have in their books, oh mm -hmm. my goodness, it's, it's, a, it's a gold mine. So yeah, much information. Extensive. It's extensive. It is extensive. And so once I started to do that, I thought, oh my gosh, this, this is just, we have a responsibility. So I, I, I figured, I've said, okay, we have a responsibility. Uh, let me do this. And so we looked at those books and we, we said, how would we teach this to kids? You know, how <laughs> we're reading it now as you know, in our adulthood, but these are academic papers. These are academically written research books that even maybe people who from high school or whatever may not read and, and fully comprehend. Um, so we just thought how to distill it and make it into something that we can teach to children. And so that is what we did we the afri classes i'm calling them now afri classes um the afri ventures are going to be something different but so the classes are um the distilled those books distilled into information that children can can pick up and um as a result of what we've been doing you know the children feel empowered they're inspired determined and educated on the power of their heritage and culture so that they understand their worth you know, in a world that doesn't always project that to them. Yes. So, I, yeah. I love what you're saying because this month, um, I know that it's a podcast. So when people are listening, it may not be Black History Month then, but at the time of this recording, it is Black History Month. And one of the things that you brought up is that when people often talk about history, they usually bring it up from the point of colonialism and after that part of the world. You know, mm -hmm. they don't necessarily um, identify the rich history that came before colonialism, which, you know, when people were in Africa, they were scholars, they were doctors, they were lawyers, they were bookkeepers, they were map makers, they were scientists, scientists astronomers, engineers. Yes. Fair, yes. 
And so what you have kind of touched on is why it's so important when we talk about Black history, not to begin with slavery. Yes. And to go beyond that. And so for parents who you know, weren't taught themselves, it's like you do have to do some research. You do have to explore on your own because there were explorers before Amerigo Vespucci. What's his name? Vespucci or something like that. It's like, you know, who they tell you in school isn't the beginning. And so if you're trying to learn history and you're looking for a history book, you can't look for something that has already existed for you. Sometimes you have to go beyond that experience to find your own history. And so I think with what you're doing with the classes, you're giving people permission to kind of deep dive into learning in a way that is beyond what they have ever been taught. And I think that is so important. Last um, podcast we talked about, um, in podcast 24, episode 24, we talked about self-directed learning. And so what you're saying is just another avenue of self-directed education so that it empowers the parent who is guiding their children. You know, we can't always teach lessons. We're really guiding them to the information. And so you're saying, I've already distilled this information. Here is, here's some powerful information in bite-sized, you know, it's bite-sized so that you can analyze it, you can learn it, you can share it. And so we've done the research for you to help you on your journey as you learn how to research on your own. Right, because as they get there, you boom. That's it. Yeah. So I I love that because in the homeschool groups, you often hear people. I want to teach my children about my heritage. I want to. I want them to have confidence. I want them to have a rich learning. But I don't know where to start. And so you are telling them where to start. It's like, look, you know these going in the back of the books and looking at the bibliography. You don't have to just take his word for it. You don't have to rely on his story. You can change that narrative yourself. Absolutely. That is exactly what it is. And and the thing is, it's, it's a, it's a stance. It's sort of saying, what, what are we going to do? (laughs) You know, we see this, what are we going to do about the situation that we're in? And when you talk about history, um, I believe that history is about, choices we're making history right now right yeah by every choice that we make and that's what I, I try to say you know we want to give our children like you're saying direct them but give them enough to make the right choices for the conditions that they've been born into right and you know so we're born into these stories into these situations what do, how do we uh, it, it's our job as parents and as the older generation to give the younger ones tools uh, successful tools to to deal with the situations that they they that they may um, face on a day to day basis. And at that moment, when you have to make a choice, you know that choice. You know, you see your child say something, or m- make a that snap decision. You want to give them enough of strong um, experiences and knowledge from which to pull from when they have to make a decision in life. So hopefully we're partnering with you, with parents to be able to say, you you can springboard from this, but we want your children to feel excited about the history. We want them to be, to have as positive experience as they can when they experience it. Even if they don't remember everything, it's that they they remember the positive association with being African, with what it means to, to have an African history class or what it means, you know, that positive experience is, is, so much more than we had you know when we were coming up um so we want to make sure that we we don't start them at the same place that we started right right because it goes way back beyond that so and with the afri classes are they only dealing with history or do we have some other subjects that we are getting into as well Oh yeah. Um, okay. Okay. So basically, we do. We we have African history class and we have African centered science. We do. Um, we have two two of those two classes of um, African centered science. Um, but in the history class, it's so much more than what you would consider just just you know the the dates and names and places that history is usually associated with. Um, we're 
telling stories. We include, you know, geology, geography, um, stories about people, um, the ancient stories that people had in ancient times. We, we talk about um, how the earth has impacted us and how we impact the earth and how the stars impact us and how we, you know, how, how we have learned from that. So it's much bigger than just dates and names and places. It's, it's a full experience. That's wonderful because I know growing up, I went to a private school and it was all black and it was, everything was very black. I mean, every day was Black History Month. It was, I mean, so for English, I remember we would um, learn, it was called choral reading and we had to recite together poems and epics and things. I remember doing um, the creation and the teacher wanted us to say these words to break the bread of life. And I just remember that she kept making us go over and over, break, break. And these were the kinds of things that we used to do. And I remember feeling um, proud of being a black person, you know, as a, African child that it wasn't, there wasn't anything wrong with me or any of my friends with the way we did anything or the way we wore our hair or it, all of these things were okay. And it kind of, um, I know everyone hasn't had this experience, but it just for myself to grow up knowing that we have a very deep and rich cultural experience here and that goes you know across the Atlantic back home and it's um, a wonderful thing to be able to try to continue that legacy and put that into children so that they can also feel you know okay because mm -hmm. really there's nothing wrong with us there's nothing wrong with it and we don't even we don't even something wrong with it because you didn't put the verb here or you know everything we're always under attack we're always being policed you know if she wasn't talking like that then this wouldn't have happened you know you follow the rules but then they tell you oh but there was another one you forgot about it's it can be very stressful it is very stressful and I, I think that knowing these things can really do a lot to make our children feel more grounded and more safe and just and balanced. Yeah. And whole. Yeah. And because, you know, in a society where people sometimes do cause those differences and they often bring them up, kids just want to be kids. Kids just want to live. And right. so if you grow up in an environment where being you is normalized, that unfortunately in this day and age is unusual it if is. you are a child of color. And so for you, how did you um, help your kids develop that confidence to kind of be teenagers that are thriving? Um, how do we do that? We really focus on, on really take that idea of know thyself to heart. Mm, okay. The ancient comedic saying of know thyself, we really take that to heart and spend a lot of time talking about um, through literature, through all of our experiences, we, we sort of have a homeschool that is very um we use a lot of stories and then we talk about them write about them movies and, and then we write about them and try to recreate it and through the writing process and it shows where we are with our process um which means we, we then we talk about it in depth like why did you why did your character do that uh where did you get that information from or why do you feel that this ought to happen so in that everything that we study comes back to the person and the why they did why they're coming at it from that um angle why um so that, that we really get to understand ourselves you know our real innate why do i make those choices what is my thought pattern that makes me do 
do this X, Y, or Z. Mm. It's, it's a very intense process, but very meaningful. And for me, it's very powerful for me to do it for myself and to do it with them. We, we, we learn a lot about each other and our processes and sort of how to be in the world so that we can be out, out, we can thrive, basically. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, Perfect. it does. <laughs> yeah. It, it's hard for me to explain it, but that is what we do. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think for most parents, that's kind of what they're trying to do. I think a lot of us may not be doing it um, purposefully and that mm-hmm. it's kind of happening haphazardly, which is probably why we have adults and children who aren't totally um, comfortable with themselves and they don't really know themselves or why they work the way they work or do the things that they do. But by you purposefully and intentionally taking time to get into that part of the psyche and understanding of self, it does, you know, help for just showing up in the world it really does it it makes you think through you know uh, the things that you do so um and why and i think a lot of times when i when i was growing up and sort of you know it's taken me also a long time to get to that point where i can really do that work on my for myself but i think it's really important to um to develop that inner inner knowing and understanding yourself therefore then you can understand everything else mm-hmm. because you're more cognizant of seeing everyone as a spirit or a person who has their whole their own stories that they're coming with mm-hmm. that you and you're a whole person coming with your stories how do you interact and how do you create positivity uh, in the world um, through that understanding Awesome. So, you know, the time goes by so quickly, so we are going to wrap it up. Um, And for one of our final questions, for the mom and the dad who is trying to stay the course, and right now they find homeschooling is rather challenging, and they just, they don't, you know, they're scared. What piece of advice would you give that mom and dad who wants to homeschool their kids, but they feel like they don't, they're scared they'll mess something up or they're just, they're afraid to continue because their kid is, you know, getting older, maybe in high school. How do, you know, what type of advice would you have the struggling parent who wants to home, a part of them wants to homeschool and the other part of them is scared? That's a really good thing question because I've been that I've been there many times. Um, uh, and I think that what has sort of helped me is sometimes when things are getting really difficult, I, even when I'm teaching my kids, I find that it, it's something that you don't know. There's something missing in what you know. Um, and a lot of homeschooling, being a homeschool parent really is also about your own personal growth. It's a huge part of it is about your own personal growth um, and the growth of your family together. Um, so um, I would say, and it, it really, and this is general information, but I would say the fear is, is something that is, is natural. Uh, try to really go th- into and understand. Now, one thing is really think, if I take them into school, what are they gonna get? What is it going to give them mm. that I'm not? You know, to really think about the classroom settings, you know, what happens in classrooms. I've been into many schools, I've taught in schools as well. You know, how much time does the, 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 the teacher really have to give to the different children? Sometimes you're, you know, everything is slowed down because you had to deal with getting people not, not uh, listening, you have to deal with disciplinary problems. There's a lot of things that go on in schools that, um, that the children, the greater curriculum of everything else going on in schools, what is informing their them, them as well, not just the academics that you feel you may not be able to give them. Um, academics are not everything. And 
what is the most important thing is making sure your child is a um, is a whole person that they are that they that they personally are are doing well um, as a person. So if you're getting A's, it doesn't mean your child is doing well. You know, it's, people always confuse them. How's your child? Oh, they're getting all A's. They're doing all this. That doesn't mean the child is doing well. Right. The whole child. So really, really think about the whole child and really understand that you you can do this. If you need to get tools, go ahead and find different tools, go to a class, get help, get someone to come in and do a particular a subject you don't have, or go on the internet. Um, one thing is to scope out, go and scope out what do they need for that subject. Really scope out, look online or find out what do you want them to know in physics, for example. A lot of people are afraid to do physics or you know sciences or math sometimes. Right. Look at it. Just see what what is it subject by subject, um, topic chapter by chapter. What do they need to know according to the system by this time? Because you also remember you you're also going by what you think the system wants them to know. Right. Um, so this is a question. It's a very in depth question, and I don't know if I'm answering it fully. But you really are. do your do your research as the parent. We really look into what it is that you that they will need to know. What you think they you want them to know, and then take it step by step, take it chunk by chunk. Say this week, we're gonna do this. And if I need help, I'm going to try and enlist the help, the help of such and such a person. Look, find out around you who can help you. Go online, a lot of things that I, I look up, um, I'll look up, you know, the math, the math concepts. I'll be there, you know, trying to figure out, well, um, if it's something I'm rusty on or I never did, I'll look it up and really try and find out what's happening in that topic. And then I'll have a clearer idea of where where it needs to go from where we are because you can do this mm -hmm. if if you just take the time to to just think about it in a big picture. I and mean, if you find you can't, that's fine too. Honestly, that's fine too. If you feel that it's something you can't do, then think of how the best way to to for your child to get that your child's needs met in a, in an environment that you would want them to be in. So if the school is not really the best place. Be creative. Yeah. School is not everything. Think of different ways that it can happen. Getting a tutor, getting someone, you know, there are many ways to make this happen. There are. Oh, well, you've said so many different tips and I mean, it's just been such a rich conversation. So we appreciate you taking time with us. I feel like we definitely didn't get to ask you all the questions that we have. So we definitely would love to have you back again for a conversation because I just feel like for, uh, you know, both of us, we homeschool our kids. And I feel like hearing from others who have been at this longer than we have, it's just an enriching experience. Very encouraging. Yes, I would love to talk with you again anytime. Uh, I would love it, and even outside of the podcast, please. You know, we can talk as well. Yes, thank you so much. Please tell everybody where they can find find you and um, sign up for your classes. Okay, sure. Um, we're at uh, www.maroonlifelearning.com. That maroon m a r o o n life learning, all one word. And my email address is maroonlifelearning at yahoo.com. I'm also on Facebook at Maroon Life Learning. Um, and so please, you know, in, inbox me there, write to me there, or email me. Any of those is fine. Okay. And everybody, we will put all of those links in the show notes. So definitely oh, check out quickly, the show Say really quickly that there's a, we have an early bird special that will end on the 23rd. Okay. Um, of this month. So please, if you want to, you know, get in on that, please do. Um, please do. Okay. So we will put a link to that in the show notes so that you guys will have it. And um, we just, we thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so thank much. You. Can I ask one more question? I'm sorry. I should have said this before. <laughs> so when do classes start? Since you just said we've got an early bird special, when are we starting with the classes? Let's get the people interested and get them there so they can come. March 23rd. Babies. Yes, March 23rd, they begin their online classes. So you can take them from the comfort of your home. March 23rd is the first day of classes and it's March 11. Okay. Boom. Awesome. So we're definitely going to have to share some teasers um, so that so that everybody will get this before time. So we're going to share some teasers. We have a couple um, 
social networks. So we'll definitely um, be sharing that because we want people to take advantage of this opportunity. Indeed. Thank you so very much for having me. I'm so honored and so grateful. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll be talking again soon. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we are, we are back. We just wanted to um, give you guys this really cool promotion. Can you share the promotion with them? Yes, the promotions, we're extending the early bird special for anyone who listens to the podcast or comes to the Cleverly Changing website. There's a special promotion for you. We're extending the early bird special by a week. So you have a chance to get in. And if when you come in, you'll have the code Cleverly Changing. If you use that code, you'll get the, the, um, the extra discount, the 15% off much later than the actual cutoff for the early bird special. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you and Jerry. We thoroughly enjoyed this time that you have shared with us and we cannot so wait to have you back. So did I. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it too. Okay. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye.